0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus. Big comfort for
2: everyone. Go to bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, hello. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from the resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional whether you're traveling for business or leisure at the resident you're offered the best rooms prices and advice for your needs as well we are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with the resident when we're booking a stay in london or liverpool it's the resident we head to and it's the resident you should head to to find out more click residenthotels.com
0: This is about protecting our Scottish
3: environment, but it is also more than that. It is about protecting our Scottish democracy. We are here as the consequence of a Brexit that Scotland didn't vote for. Every day, people are paying the price of reduced living standards, a weaker economy, and less money for public services like the NHS. Not
1: just broken glass, but a broken union.
2: Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. Lovely to be back with you. Thank you very much for being there. I'm Callum MacDonald. We're recording on Wednesday the 31st of May. Thanks, by the way, for your emails. We're going to get into more of those throughout today's episode. we will absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've got questions to ask, points to make, or experiences to share, don't hold back. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com, And we'll get stuck right into those a little bit later on. And also on Hollywood Sources, as you know by now, Andy McKeever, former Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Good morning. Hello, hello, and also here, Jeff Aberdeen, former chief of staff to Alex Salmond when he was first minister. But more importantly than that, brand new dad, Jeff Aberdeen. Jeff, hello. How are you?
3: Uh, good morning. Uh, I would be lying if I said I wasn't just a little bit jaded, um, but absolutely uh, very excited. And if I may say. Um, I put a wee tweet out in my emotional state after the birth of, of my son, wee Lucas, and the response was uh, really, really overwhelming. It was really nice to see so many responses. and I'm sorry if I haven't replied directly yet. I'm getting to it, but I am. Up to my eyes and nappies in burping and uh, all these things. Um quite an experience I have to say. And that I should be. say as well, I apologize in advance to the listeners if I'm not on my A game today, <laughs> so I'm relying on Andy and Callum to, to, to pull us through today.
2: <laughs> well, we'll do our best, won't we, Andy? We're well here. I didn't know
1: you had an A game to be honest, Jeff. <laughs> <the real>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I tell you though. I led I- with the- uh, a-, a game, a game fatherhood. I mean, one try and he gets an heir to the Aberdeen throne. I've tried four times and I've got four daughters.
2: An <laughs> um, heir to the Aberdeen. Do you think, I mean, what are your hopes, Jeff? Is he going to be first minister one day? Would that be a route you'd encourage
3: well, him down? Guys, he's, he's, he's nine pounds and he's got really long legs and he's <laughs> a big boy. So I'm actually hoping we've got an athlete here. And you're sp- you're speaking to his future agent. Um, uh, So uh, I'm not getting any money for this podcast But maybe Lucas will uh, Sort out the, uh, the family finances He's, he
1: sounds like a future Aberdeen goalkeeper, which is a very busy job.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's another podcast, Mr. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, well, congratulations. It's uh, lovely. I'm glad you're here in your sleep deprived state, and uh, I imagine that even slightly less than a game will be absolutely wonderful. Um, it's great to have you, Jeff and Andy. Thank you very much for being here. All uh, right, lots to talk about today. A little bit later on, we are going to talk about the deposit return scheme again because it's such a shambles again. So we'll We'll do that a little bit later. Uh, we've got some really interesting emails as well to um, uh, to get to. Uh, Andrew's email coming up a little bit later on. He's done a bit of an assessment, actually, um, on independence and where to go with that. Uh, so we'll do that later. We want to start, though, with oil and gas today. Um, it's become the talk of the town since the Sunday Times published a front page uh, outlining Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader's plan to, well, end um, new exploration, new drilling for oil and gas in the North Sea. Uh, And it's taken on a sort of Scottish flavour, as you might imagine, pretty quickly, given how important oil and gas and the oil and gas industry is uh, to Scotland. Uh, And this week, the Herald front page, Sarwar, quote, backs Starmer over ban for all new oil and gas projects, um, which is a difficult one to sort of balance with the oil and gas industry in Scotland. Andy, I want to take, I suppose, first of all from you on... On, on, on Sir Keir Starmer's strategy here is is the intention here to sort of be quite shocking and get some attention and then I suppose kind of scale back when he actually announces the full details of this plan which is due sort of sometime in the next few weeks
1: Well, we've spoken a bit before about whether or not Keir Starmer should say too much or whether he should just be quiet and not be the Tory party um, and whether that might actually be enough to, for him to get into government and I've always been quite favourable towards him not saying very much. Um, I think, ultimately, I think Labour will win and I think the main reason they'll win is that they're not the Tory party um, and that they will be able to offer something different in the cost of living crisis. Um, because the more he says, the more he's going to displease people And he's got a big Tory majority to overturn, and that Tory majority was created on the back of Boris Johnson being able to be all things to all men and being believed. But there are not a lot of Boris Johnsons out there. Not every political leader can pull that off. Boris Johnson is an exceptional campaigner who was able to say two or three different things to two or three different audiences and have them all believe him. Keir Starmer has got to win back simultaneously the blue wall, the red wall, and if we want to call it that, the Yellow Wall in Scotland, um, all at the same time. And they all require quite different messages. Now, a portion of Keir Starmer's audience will be probably the sort of Blue Wall-type audience, which historically the Tories thought was at risk from the Lib Dems, but actually more recent polling and the local elections probably shows it's at risk more from Labour than it is from the Lib Dems. They are um, a much more metropolitan type of audience, far, far removed from the oil and gas heartlands of... Aberdeen probably much more attuned to the sort of net zero uh, sustainability green agenda. And um, he's probably appealing to them through this sort of messaging. But that's the difficulty. When you appeal to one set, it's very difficult to keep another set um, in line. And, you know, what he has done here is, I thought it was quite surprising, actually, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a bit of a misstep, a major misstep, in fact, when you think about Scotland. Um because he, I think, has failed to understand the nuance of the net zero agenda, which Jeff and I in our day jobs are very involved in, and Jeff in particular up there in Aberdeen, which is that if you have a cliff edge, you have no net zero transition. Mm. If you just cut oil and gas off, there is no means to pay for the transition to net zero. And if you just cut oil and gas off, The jobs, because the big transition here is jobs, the jobs that will be transitioning from fossil fuels to net zero, will not have the time to make that transition. So, um, you know, uh, unintended consequences of a statement like that can be quite substantial. Um, I thought it was a misstep, I think it's put Anas Sarwar in a very, very difficult position, Um, and I, I was quite surprised that Starmer did it, to be honest. Let
2: me just put a little bit more detail on the, just the criticism that followed all of this. And on Anna Sarwar, first of all, the Herald reports that Scottish Labour said they're only committed to existing fields. Um, which seems to suggest a bit of support at least for this. But let me do some of the criticism. Uh, David Whitehouse, chief executive of Offshore Energies UK, described as no way to treat the 200,000 workers in the industry, 90,000 of whom work in Scotland. Uh, Ryan Crichton from Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce said the plan was not grounded in reality. Gary Smith from the GMB union, one of Labour's biggest donors, said the new policy would leave the UK more reliant on imports from Russia. The Scottish Conservatives said Sir Keir Starmer's approach was nothing short of a gut punch to the industry and tens of thousands of Scots who work in it. Um, I, 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 it it's just it's, it's almost unanimous, I think, Jeff.
3: It is indeed. If you'll permit me, I just want to to advance a few things at once here because this is a really complex and comprehensive area of policy. But let me say at the outset, full transparency. I mean, I represent a number of energy companies. Um, and, and I, and I kind of resist something, what you said, Callum, you know, the oil and gas sector and the renewable sector. Actually, it's one and the same thing, in my opinion, and I'll, I'll go on to explain what I mean uh, by that uh, shortly. I, I agree with Andy's analysis that this is a misstep and it'll have to be uh, rectified by uh, Keir Starmer in some shape, way or form. He has to place uh, suitable context to his remarks and we'll find out what he actually means by this and if there's any time scales involved, which I think will be uh, crucial. But uh, I've always held this position, incidentally. When the SNP uh, were in government, there was a policy, and I think it still is party policy, I don't think it's been changed yet, of maximising economic recovery from the UK continental shelf. Um, And I've always felt this is uh, the potential to be uh, the fulcrum of uh, Scotland's uh, economy um, as we uh, develop. Now, let me give you a few stats, if I may. The northeast of Scotland, particularly, um, uh, is... Uh, home to over a thousand energy supply chain companies now they are the lifeblood of our energy sector and the lifeblood of our economy um, these are the guys that really do provide the innovation the r d their subcontractor are contracted from the oil and gas majors to produce really uh cutting edge technology solutions for uh, the oil and gas sector they are a massive employer uh, across the northeast but across scotland as well wonderful companies we have Uh, here. Secondly, uh, this region is actually at home to one of the largest concentration of subsea engineering capability in the world. Now, again, that's owing to oil and gas. Now, the reason I mention these two things is that is the critical mass that is going to be required to advance and accelerate our transition to uh, renewables and new energies. We have a massive opportunity here, guys. I just want to outline this. Um, the Scotland uh, bidding uh, that took place last year, the Scottish government announced successful bidders, Uh, that will unlock uh, £21 billion in offshore wind uh, investments, largely off the northeast seaboard, but across Scotland as uh, well. Uh, There's green hydrogen and there's carbon capture as well, and we've got some really interesting projects up here. Uh, But the problem is that these uh, developments are not available at scale just now, uh, and the technologies associated with them, and most importantly, the jobs associated with them are not available at scale just now, and they won't be until probably mid 2030s. So what do we do in the meantime? And this is the definition of a transition. We need to incentivize our energy sector um, uh, to uh, uh, ensure that we can accelerate the, the, the technologies whilst protecting the jobs so that we can make that a seamless transition to new energies. If we don't do that, we will lose out to other countries. Uh, and that's the big, big uh, challenge facing all politicians just now. Now, right now, owing to the the tragic uh, uh, war in Ukraine, there is still a massive focus on energy security. We have it within our gift to make a massive contribution to that. And the final point I would say is, what is the point, if you look at the uh, climate change Uh, committee's own analysis. They are even saying we're going to need oil and gas for some period to come, for decades to come as we go through this transition. What is the point in sacrificing those jobs, as Gary Smith pointed out, in the meantime, only to rely on more imports from overseas, which incidentally are more carbon heavy? So it's economically and environmentally prudent for us to do this. So that's hopefully a wee sit rep of where we are in the situation the politics is really important my guess is if keir starmer is successful in becoming prime minister he'll go into 10 downing street have a look at the books and say well oh, hold on a second here is an industry that since the turn of the millennium has contributed in cash terms not inflation adjusted uh, over a hundred billion pounds it'll be well over that instead because that doesn't take into account recent years and the prices a hundred billion pounds to the exchequer now that would pay for a significant portion of the UK's Mm. pensions or education, wherever you want to allocate that money. My guess is when he looks at that and goes, do you know what guys, let's have a wee revisit of this because (laughs) that's quite a useful thing to have when you've got a cost of living crisis ongoing. I truly hope that he sees the light of day in that respect. But finally, and I think I speak for Andy here as well, none of us are saying that we shouldn't get to net zero. None of us are saying that we're climate change deniers. On the contrary, the way to get to net zero is to incentivize existing industry to protect those jobs and really make sure that Scotland becomes a a global leader in this front because there is no guarantees to that. So it needs the right policy environment and it needs the right Uh, will from industry as well, those two things together can create significant inroads for our economy and for job security and energy security going forward.
1: And just to come in on that last point as well, we are geographically blessed here, but to a degree we're politically burdened at the same time. And um, it has a real danger of holding us back. I mean, the Scandinavian countries in particular are motoring ahead with all sorts of renewable and sustainability initiatives, including in the manufacturing of, of what we need to make those things happen. And, you know, we like to think we're ahead of the game in Scotland because of our geographical position, and we could be, but I'm, you know, increasingly feeling that we, our competitive advantages being eroded here because we're uh, not being nimble enough and because our governments are not working well enough together on this. I think one of the key things that we have to avoid is platitudes in this country about Uh, the move from fossil fuels to renewables. One of my businesses is Zero Matters, right? uh, The other other side of message matters is Zero Matters, and it's very much action based on reaching net zero. So our clients are taking action now. They're not going on marches, they're not building, you know, they're not making flags and making demands. They're actually taking action on net zero. They're doing things, they're reducing carbon now. And we could be doing a lot more of the action stuff and a lot less of the talk if we just got on with it, because I think there are too many people, politicians included, who are just trying to say the right thing, instead of actually just getting on with it. Um, and it's very frustrating.
3: Yeah. Andy, can I, can I just come in one point on what you said? I really like your, your views on this. Um, you, know, you know my political standpoint. I want Scotland to be in control of all the levers um, uh, that a normal uh, country has. But actually, energy policy is very complex. Uh, It really is. And it's quite uh, integrated across devolved and reserved uh, policy areas. Wouldn't it be great if, for example, on issues linked to grid infrastructure and interconnectors, Callum and I were talking off broadcast about uh, his uh, uh, parents' home in Lewis and how do they advance and benefit from renewable energies? And it's a lot of interconnectors that are needed uh, in order to Mm. be able to commercialise this stuff. Well, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could have an agreement between the Scottish government, UK government and say, look, let's just take the finer edge of politics out of this to ensure that we can advance uh, 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 the grid infrastructure, uh, port optimisation as well. We've got some fantastic ports around the country, but how are we optimising their use? Uh, who's going to do operations and maintenance? Who's going to do high-value manufacturing? Uh, who's going to do the fabrication? So. I do feel that we need to have a much more collegiate approach from the UK and Scottish governments. And that doesn't impinge, incidentally, on a country's wish to be independent, because this happens, as you rightly point out, across Scandinavian countries in particular. There are agreements in place. So do you think there is a case to be made for more collegiate working between the two governments in this respect?
1: I think if the transition to renewables was a company, and that company had a risk register I think the relationship between the Scottish and UK governments would be one of the flashing red top things (laughs) on that risk register. Mm. It is undoubtedly holding this whole agenda back. It's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. Um, But it is undoubtedly holding this entire agenda back. It's a material risk to our progress. Not just our progress towards net zero, but our future uh, economic foundation. Uh, not just Scotland but throughout the UK. We have an incredible opportunity to have renewable energy as one of the absolute bedrocks of our economy for the next century. Um, And the inability of these two governments to adequately and constructively work together um, and the propensity for both of them to look to score points rather than working together well is a flashing red risk to the progress of that agenda. Yeah. If I may
3: just make one more point uh, Callum um yeah we've discussed on this podcast many times before that Scotland's economy is you know its productivity is kind of stagnating its growth is limited just now as is the UK's incidentally. Um I saw a stat uh, earlier this week that showed that um the northeast of Scotland um, parts of Fife and and Lothians are the only one uh, areas in Scotland that are disproportionately productive. Now if we don't uh, incentivize uh, what is a world-class and it is a world-class industry, we are known around the world for that R&D, that innovation, that pioneering uh, solutions, if we don't incentivize that I think there's a consideration for the Scottish Government there as well to say how are we going to make a case uh, for the economics of independence without uh, having a world-class energy sector, which is accelerating new energy. So I think they've got to think at Hollywood really carefully about this and how they respond to their draft energy consultation. Will there be a slight nuancing or changing of position in terms of uh, oil and gas exploration? They're not responsible for it, but of course they did put in their draft energy strategy that there should be a presumption against. How does Keir Starmer's remarks impact them? Because they might see this... As a political opportunity as well to say actually we're the ones that are protecting scottish jobs here so really interesting mm. to see how this unfolds
2: i was reading through a thread by uh, jack richardson who is from onwards the kind of center-right think tank on all of this and he was kind of making the point that actually within political parties there's not there's not actually unity on how to how to progress from here um, and he sort of goes through each in turn, um, kind of saying that Labour's announcement might sort of be a disincentive to investment in the North Sea, compounding the the windfall tax that's already been imposed on, on, on North Sea operators. So there's that. But then the Conservatives can't really um, get unity on this either. They can't sort of just pitch Absolutely and solely on fossil fuels and energy security and then there's the the SNP who are not particularly unified on this Either even though they're in government with the greens But there's kind of a bit of humming and hawing from Hamza Yusuf in the last uh, week or so since all of this not really Cementing a line and I just wonder is, is there any unity within any political party for a way forward Andy that you can identify?
1: Um, I, I, I don't so I suppose to split that into two and um, I'm not sure there's any unity in any political party on the way forward and how the governments work together. Right. Um, Labour will tell you the best way for the governments to work together is for there to be a Labour government in Westminster and a Labour government in Hollywood. Sure. <laughs> like that's yeah. There's That's their obvious solution to uh, the two governments working together is for them to be the same. And it's not like there's something in that actually. But you you also have to you also have to be able to operate a devolution settlement. Where the governments are from different parties you can't rely on the governments being from the same party in order to work together all the time and unless it's labor the governments can't be from the same parties because the snp can't be in power at westminster and the tories can't be in power at Holyrood. so it has to be labor if it's going to be from both parties within the tories and the snp no uh, there's no there's no consensus on how to work together because the tories are split between the small minority who want a good relationship and the large minority who are focused on smashing nationalism. And the SNP are split mm-hmm. between the small minority who want a good relationship because they think it's the best way to advance their case, and the larger majority who just want to fight because they think that's the best way to advance their case. And so we have a real problem. I mean, we really are in an absolute limbo um, when it comes to that. And I, my worry is that we will spend too much time on the politics of it and we'll miss the issue and it's too big an issue to miss I mean, we're going to come back to talking about this when we talk about, you mentioned DRS Yeah. Um, when we talk about that, that is also an issue of governments working together, so there are common themes that run through this my um, pessimism, and for those who've not heard the Adam Tompkins podcast from a couple of weeks ago it's probably worth listening to that Um, not least because Adam is more optimistic than me but (laughs) my pessimism about it is I it's difficult to see in the short term a way through that issue to create a better working relationship i think it's only going to get worse
2: yeah we actually had a really timely email from uh, listener jill hello jill uh, who got in touch on saturday before keir starmer's sort of direction of travel emerged um, with an energy related email Uh, the email address by the way hello at hollywoodsources.com to get in touch uh jill says and she has learned the trick she says great podcast by the way thanks very (laughs) much jill that means your email gets read out Uh, my, My question is, is Scotland missing out on maximizing the benefits of its enormous renewable energy capacity by poor planning in energy policy by the UK government. So this is kind of a sub-question, I guess, to what we've just been talking about. Jill goes on, I've worked in renewables since 2005. Scotland is one of the few places currently generating more renewable energy than it uses in 2023. Scotland needs about 6 gigawatts, capacity currently at 13 gigawatts. Uh, a further 8 to 10 gigawatts is planned onshore by 2030, then with Scotland, another 15 to 20 gigawatts coming online in the 2030s. So by the mid-2030s, Scotland's capacity will be 45 gigawatts. What to do with all that everlasting energy, says Jill. By the way, she says, a gold star to Jeff's old boss for instigating planning reform to facilitate renewables and a national planning framework for key projects. That's the only bits of the energy sector the Scottish government controls, outlined Jill. To be honest, I think there is clear evidence that central UK government decisions are negatively impacting on Scotland's progress. Um, so that sort of feeds on what we were saying a little, but there's an interesting that interesting question: poor planning in energy policy by the UK government. Jeff,
3: yeah. I, I, first of all, it sounds like we should have Jill on.
1: Uh, she sounds uh, <laughs> like she knows her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she will be listening to this go and these guys have got no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a great
3: email, and I, 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 thank you, Jill. I, I think she. There is a a lot of substance to what she says and it kind of touches on what I was saying earlier. So let's Mm. just take that Scotland as an example. The Scottish Government, Crown Estate Scotland, were responsible for awarding uh, those licences and yet the UK Government is largely responsible for how do we get it connected to the grid and yet the Scottish Government has planning... Responsibilities for you know the actual uh, onshore uh, planning as well. So it it is that's my point about it being quite a complex environment. I I think the UK government could have done a couple of things actually uh, out out the the bat. Uh, They could have uh, and should have approved carbon capture at ACORN, which is at St Fergus. uh, Owing to the uh, oil and gas industry, we have these wonderful reservoirs and aquifers that can be tapped into for carbon capture. They should have done that as a statement of intent, and put it on track one. It didn't, and we're hoping that it gets onto track uh, two. And I think there's almost political unanimity across the parties on uh, that. That would have been a good statement of intent. Their support for oil and gas, in my view, is important. Um, but what we really need, as Jill outlines, is a, a considered framework going forward that says, look, here's where we think we can uh, really uh, make inroads. So, to my mind just now, the, the energy sector, particularly where Scotland has opportunities, is uh, supporting oil and gas as part of the transition. Uh offshore wind, particularly floating offshore wind, because that is something where we think we can be global le- leaders. I mentioned earlier the subsea engineering capability that we have already in Scotland that, to incentivise that. Green uh, hydrogen, and, and there are there is blue hydrogen linked to that as well, so hydrogen in its entirety, uh, and of course carbon capture and storage. Now, if we could have a framework that sets out where the policy interventions are, are likely to be needed um, on that from the UK government and showing where the Scottish government has to input so there has to be a level of collaboration there uh, then I think that would be really, really welcome. Right now it's very, very isolated uh, from my perception and it's not clear and actually uh, 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 one of the companies I'm in, uh, involved in supporting uh, co-sponsored a survey the Energy Transition Survey and, and it's almost... Unanimous Companies are coming back, particularly energy supply chain companies going, we don't really understand how all this fits together. Where is the support available? So I think there is a lot of merit in what Mm -hmm. Jill says.
2: Really interesting. Um, Andy, I want to ask you just to round this off then. is Is this the start of drawing kind of battle lines for the next election? Is the environment, is climate change, oil and gas and renewables? Is this going to become a defining issue for the general election next year?
1: Um, I think the defining issue for the general election next year is going to be the economy. It's going to be cost of yeah. living. ultimately. That's, that is going to be the issue. But it doesn't mean there aren't other things that will be talked about uh, at the same time. And there is absolutely no question. I mean, I think, you know, Jeff and I have, have both said it, but it's worth reiterating again. There isn't any question about the commitment of most people and most organisations to net zero. No. And also politically, if you don't have a credible... pro-environmental net zero policy, you're dead amongst voters aged less than 45. I mean, you're completely Mm. dead. That's one of the reasons why the Tories are struggling so much, to be honest with you. Uh, That that generation of voters are not interested unless you can display your uh, climate change credentials. So, it is important but it's finding that balance. It's finding the balance and it's understanding that sustainability and achieving net zero doesn't have to be done at the expense of jobs it doesn't have to be done at the expense of profit i mean it's important to make that clear you know profit is a very important motive to ensure that net zero happens quickly and successfully. And I'm sick and tired of people pussyfooting around that, to be honest with you. The profit motive is critically important to make this happen. Um, And I just think that too often politicians pander to, uh, I guess, the more extreme side of what some of the campaigners say, rather than looking at what's actually going to work and what's going to get this done i
3: know we need to move on just just very briefly just to 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 follow on from what andy says that that issue about profits really important i mean where do people think a lot of the investment is coming from incidentally for renewables a lot of it is coming from yeah. existing oil and gas profits yeah. um, and so there's another reason right in our face uh, to, to ensure that that is incentivized and um, you asked the question callum about you know where will this feature in the run-up to the general election mm-hmm. campaign and andy rightly said it's going to be uh, focused on the economy, uh, and I think that's right. I would wager and I would argue and I'd contend that making this issue as part of your economic argument is really, really important because this, we are talking about the green industrialization of our country and, and the party that can really advance a case on that and say, listen, this is going to mean jobs for all, a sustainable transition, we're going to get to net zero, but we're going to take everyone with us. I think that's quite a profound and strong uh, case to take to the nation.
2: Really interesting, Jill. Thank you so much for your email. You can add your voice to the podcast conversation as well. Just email. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com. We would love to hear from you. This idea then of cooperation and collaboration, we're going to continue to explore that in the context of the deposit return scheme right
0: after this. Even on a budget,
2: Hollywood sources and we are so grateful that you are there and we are so grateful to have support from our favourite hotel group, The Resident, with hotels in London and Liverpool. Now don't just take our word for how good and supportive and wonderful they are. Take this review from Louisa just a couple of months ago. She stayed in Covent Garden in London and said, great location, room was so comfortable and clean, shower was the best we had mm. during our month in Europe. Close to shopping in restaurants and multiple tube stations, Covent Garden is the perfect area to stay. And here's East Coast Will, who stayed at the resident earlier this year. Don't hesitate to book your stay here, especially if you're planning to attend theatre events. It's a quiet, restful oasis in a very busy city. We're excited to return. So, if you're heading to London anytime soon for politics or otherwise, and you're listening to Hollywood sources on the way, and why wouldn't you? Stay at the Resident for the full London experience. To book your stay, click residenthotels.com. Seems like we've got a bit of a theme to the podcast today. This idea of cooperation and collaboration in the interest of making progress on various issues. Let's talk about the deposit return scheme, shall we? Um, The latest on this, as we say, we're recording on Wednesday, uh, the 31st of May. It's kind of back and forth, isn't it, this issue? But the Scottish government is currently assessing whether the deposit return scheme will go ahead after Westminster refused to allow glass to be included. Uh, Lorna Slater, the circular economy minister said the decision made, quote, no sense. She's called for it to be reversed. She's accused the UK government of trying to sabotage the scheme. Uh, She says she's now going to assess whether it's something we can make work ahead of its planned launch in March of next year. Andy, I guess one of the interesting dynamics that's developing is this seeming attempt from Lorna Slater to make this a constitutional back and forth between Holyrood and Westminster. Is, Is that a wise approach, do we feel?
1: Before I saw, I should say before I say anything on DRS, let me uh, be clear that I have um, some client interests in this. Quite a few client interests in DRS actually. So uh, I'll probably not go into the detail of the scheme, but I certainly can talk to the politics of it. Mm. Um, uh, I think, to a degree, both governments are trying to make this a constitutional issue, to be honest with you. I I wouldn't have said it's only Lorna Slater who's trying to do that. Um, I think both governments are looking at the constitutional politics of it. Ultimately, I am very unconvinced that the public will see this as being a major constitutional issue. Um, The most obvious comparison here, and it's... It's not an accurate comparison. However, it is the most obvious comparison is to gender recognition um, because the, the general narrative here is Hollywood tries to do something, Westminster says no. Um, and I've got no doubt that uh, there'll be elements of the government in Westminster who are attracted by what they have seen as the success of the GRR intervention, and we'll see it as an opportunity to do that here as well. I think the issues are, however, very, very fundamentally different. I think one very important thing is that there are battle lines on GRR that are very different. The UK government's approach to gender recognition, and particularly self-identification, is very clearly different from the Scottish government's approach. those issues and secondly there is very clear public opposition to what the Scottish Government is trying to do on gender recognition and therefore in a kind of a a bit of a rarity for the Tories in Westminster they're actually on the right side of Scottish public opinion here and they've been (laughs) emboldened by that and that's why they've taken that sort of action it's different on DRS and again I'm not uh, uh, no issue with conflict of interest or anything here because I'm just giving you public facts, which is Mm. that all parties and both governments are in favour of a deposit return scheme. Um, It's due to come in in all parts of the UK, albeit at different times and with slightly different systems. So there's not that battle line over whether DRS is a good thing or a bad thing. All governments have decided it's a good thing already. Um, And uh, similarly, I think It's different in the eyes of the public. A, it's not as big an issue in the eyes of the public as GRR. Far from it. It's nowhere near as big an issue. Um, And polling actually shows the public to be pretty favourable towards uh, a DRS scheme on the basis that it is intended to increase rates of recycling. So I don't think it will emerge as the sort of constitutional issue that perhaps either of the governments want it to emerge as. And I suppose my last word on that would be that the partisan... People in the country who would vote either no or vote for a unionist party uh, until you know un- until they're dead, uh, irrespective of what was happening. And on the other side, those who would either vote yes or vote for the SNP, irrespective of what was happening, they're all fine about this. They quite like all this, you know. They quite like the constitutional back and forth uh, and the uh, and, and the fighting that's going on. Mm. The people in the middle. As with most things, as we've just talked about with energy, what they would really like is for both of their governments to work together, Mm -hmm. to work well, to work hard, and to come up with a solution that is in people's best interests, and to cooperate. That's what most people actually want. And ironically, that most people, that middle section, they are the people who politically both governments should be trying to attract because they're the swing voters. They're the people who could go either way on all these questions. Um, But as with many things, uh, at the moment, they're the people who are quite often ignored.
2: Let me just add a little bit more context to the back and forth that's currently happening. So Lorna Slater had to apply for an exemption to the Internal Markets Act because of concerns that the Scottish scheme... Would effectively introduce trade barriers in different parts of the UK if it was to be introduced ahead of England, Wales and Northern Ireland and had different rules. So as Andy, as you say, the other three nations of the UK, they are all due to launch their own scheme in October next year. Um, With all of that in mind, um, on Friday, last Friday, Scottish Secretary Alistair Jack said the scheme in Scotland could be partially approved, but glass would be excluded to make it consistent with the other parts of the UK, UK government spokesperson saying deposit return schemes need to be consistent across the UK. And this is the best way to provide a simple and effective system. So all of this would mean that the Scottish deposit return scheme would be allowed to cover PET plastic, aluminium and steel cans. So that's where we're at. That's what Lorna Slater is currently deciding upon. And Jeff, let's bring you in because, um, as we say, the idea of cooperation and collaboration is feels like is the UK government is putting that at the heart of its decision here and that's what Lorna Slater is now considering. Is it is it worth just saying yes and, and cooperating with this rather than making it some sort of odd constitutional dividing line?
3: Yeah, well let me take the last bit of your, your question uh, uh, first. Uh, one of the benefits of being on paternity leave uh, guys <laughs> is that you kind of take a step back from the political furore and, and realise that uh, not many people are really talking about uh, uh, lots of political issues on a day-to-day basis and they're certainly not talking about DRS. <laughs> and, no way! Uh, I, I, honestly, I've, I mean I, it's, it's so funny, Like, you, you, I've had literally hundreds of my, my I've, got, I've got a large family and friends coming in uh, to see the wee one and obviously once the, the baby's asleep so there's not much interest after um, having a wee look at them and then they just get <laughs> chatting about you know things that they know I'm involved in so they're talking about politics. Not once has DRS come up Uh, in any Mm. sophisticated way. And I suppose the point here is, um, if you're going to call this an assault on democracy, and Scottish democracy, or or, or, on devolved governance, you want people to be really rallied by that. Uh, They're not. Uh, I I think that's pretty (laughs) clear. Equally, I think Andy's right as well. I don't think the UK government are getting particularly benefit from this either in any meaningful way. It's just not an issue that is reaching beyond uh you know the, the the political gallery so to speak to answer your, your your first part of your question i kind of feel the inevitable end point of this um is going to be some sort of cooperation yes we'll accept it. we're no happy about it we've made our point and we'll crack on uh, in the meantime uh, i i feel that that is as andy says just work together on this one and we'll see where we get to uh i i can't see any other way that That this is going to manifest itself in all honesty. But I do put in a big healthy caveat on that, and I have not seen much politics in the last week, so um, (laughs) I'm not as my studious best uh, on this issue. No, that's all right, that's totally fair.
2: And I, I wonder then if there is any perception issue for Lorna Slater. And for the Scottish government, by extension, of of incompetence of navigating this badly, it feels like people are generally in favour, as we're talking about, of a deposit return scheme. And actually, it feels like quite a, sim- a simple thing. It feels like something that is quite straightforward. Is there incompetence here, Andy?
1: Um, well, it, I mean, it, it should be fairly it should be fairly straightforward um, uh, compared to some of the other things that they've got to deal with. I think the um, the issue of incompetence is becoming more difficult than it should be for the Scottish Government. And it has been hanging over Hamza Youssef's head all the way since the SNP leadership election. Um, because of the I mean, and it started from the opposition and then kind of reared its head from his internal opposition also in the leadership contest where this uh, slightly backhanded uh impression that people have that Hamza Yusuf's not able to handle his briefs. That's where this has all come from. And Jeff and I have both spoken um, in this podcast over the last few weeks in that we I mean I think I don't want to speak for um Jeff, but we think that's that's unfair. Both of us have dealt with Hamza over many years and Jeff more so than me. Um, and yeah you know, I think it's an unfair accusation, but perception is everything. Um, and there is that perception floating around the Scottish government at the moment. Uh, in And it's you can see it feeding its way through the press and you can to a degree see it feeding its way into polling as well. That, you know, this is a government that is not able to execute things properly. Um, and that is a perception that they must get over. They have to get over that because it's not just this issue, but we've... We see delivery issues when it comes to a variety of other things. We obviously talked about GRR earlier on as well, but we've got this issue with highly protected marine areas, which, to be honest, they've already begun to roll back on, even though they haven't said it. They've already begun to roll back on that. They're already starting to say, well, you know, it won't be pushed onto communities who don't want it, and it won't be this and it won't be that. So they've got issues on that. They've got the National Care Service, which has been shelved, Alcohol advertising consultation has been put back very quietly. Yesterday, they kicked another consultation back, which was the consultation on obesity, the high fat, sugar, and salt stuff. That has been put back as well. So they they have to they they have to come up with a plan here that makes people understand that these are people who can get stuff done, and they are people who can get stuff done because it's the same people who have been here for the last seven or eight years getting stuff done. So they're not. It's not an inability. But at the moment, they are mired in this perception problem that this is a government that can't do anything. Yeah, um, and they they do have to fix that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you've touched on something there, Andy. I, I've
3: made this point a few times before about the, the public policy realm just now and how challenging it is and, and, and a lot of which is Hamza has inherited. I would really like to see, you know, perhaps on the other side of the, of the summer recess, perhaps part of the summer recess, Uh, Humza give a bit of a State of the Union type thing and say, look, this is where we are. Um, uh, This is the the position we're going to take on HPMAs. This is the position we're going to take on oil and gas exploration. This is the position we're going to take on DRS, whatever else the issues are. This is what we are doing. And furthermore, let me tell you about my government's approach to economic growth. Uh, Let me talk to you about my government's approach about Uh, how we sustain employment around our regions uh, and demographics across the country. That's what I'd like to see from him. Really something to get him on the front foot. Draw a line under what's gone on before and say, this is what we're going after as a government. And I wonder if it'll come as part of the programme for government, but I'd like to see something set piece, you know, and thinking just about the optics here and that perception point you make. Let's look in charge of events and let's say this is it. Uh, an unremitting focus on x y and z you know discuss it with your ministers discuss it with your advisors this is it guys uh, this is what you're talking about for the rest of our parliamentary term this and nothing else i'd quite like to see that from him. Uh, and i th- and i agree with you i think he's a lot more capable than, than many people are giving him credit for but because of that kind of uh, Uh, kind of morass of uh, challenges that he's facing just now so it'll be interesting to see if he takes that opportunity throughout the summer and perhaps into the uh, new term
2: uh, really interesting both, thank you very much Cooperation and collaboration I think is, is kind of the theme of the podcast whether it comes to renewables and energy in general or the deposit return scheme and indeed just going forward from here as well, your thoughts on what you've just heard, very welcome, if you want to add to the conversation we'll read your email out on the next episode the email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com to get in touch thanks very much for being with us today Jeff are you going back to bed now, do you need a, you need a little top up nap?
3: I can actually hear him crying it's as if he knows the podcast <laughs> So, uh, his mum's been doing a, a sterling job looking after him man.
1: Gets over at me now for the rest of the day. <laughs>
2: nice one, uh, Andy. Thank you very much indeed. You're past the stage of sleepless nights, aren't you?
1: Oh yeah, well, my, my sleepless nights now are entirely my own fault because I'm doing too much work. That's, uh, yeah, the children are fine. They're, they all sleep like they all sleep like logs. Huh?
2: Right. Well, there we are, uh, Andy and Jeff. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for being with us. Press follow and subscribe, and we will speak to you again next week.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life.